0: On this episode of How'd You Get Here, we talk with Red Rocks Credit Union CEO, Pat Ahern. It's an awesome story, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to How'd You Get Here with Mark Labriola Second here. Uh, today we have a great guest. We have an exciting um, interview for you. We have the CEO of Red Rocks Credit Union, Patrick Ahern. Did I say that right? That's correct. Okay. I'm excited for this interview. Uh, You know, we get to talk to a lot of interesting people. We get to talk to creatives, entrepreneurs, successful business people. Um, And uh, Patrick here, I would say, is a very successful business person. Um, And it's not often we get to talk to CEOs and, and, you know, get into their minds and hear why and how they do things. But uh, today we get that chance. So... Patrick, welcome to the show. Uh, well, thank you, Mark. And you can call me Pat. Okay, Pat. Go,
1: be careful what you ask. You might just get it.
0: <laughs> well, hey, um, thanks for being here. I know you're a busy guy. You got a lot of stuff going on, but you uh, came to the studio and uh, here we are.
1: Well, it's, it's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, good. So um, you're a Colorado guy. For the most part. Yeah. I'm actually from
1: California. Oh yeah, the okay. first ten years in Southern California, Orange County, Huntington Beach, uh, and um, the way I put it is that's my hometown. From a, but but uh, but I am from Littleton. Okay, so my hometown is Huntington Beach, and I am from Littleton. As I am an old Littleton guy and grew up for most of my years here.
0: Nice. So, did you um, when you lived in California? Were you there for? Your dad's family from there, your mom's family from there, or like what was what was in California that was was kind of keeping you there?
1: Yeah, my roots, my family uh, are for the most part all relocated to Southern California in that area, and uh, my dad, um, over time, eventually as a salesperson, took a regional manager position, had the opportunity to be able to be able to come to Colorado. And uh, loving the mountains and the four seasons that he missed, that we didn't get in Southern yeah. California, eventually uh, relocated to to this part of Colorado.
0: What? Um, how old were you when you guys relocated?
1: Oh, I was roughly ten years old. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was it was a little bit of a traumatic thing for me, yeah. right, as a young kid. And um, quite frankly, I had an opportunity uh, as a young childhood star to be considered there. And right as that was starting to get going, I. Uh, ended up obviously following my father and mother mm-hmm. and brother and sister and all came here.
0: So what do you mean childhood star? Yeah, I was Were uh, you like on the uh, like McDonald's commercials or something <laughs> like that. Or? You know,
1: I, I, I'm i really not sure where that was going to go. I, for one reason or another, really kind of took to um, uh, acting really early on. And, and for one reason or another, some people uh, saw me and thought I was pretty good and wanted to put me through screen tests and all that wonderful stuff that uh, never really got a finish uh, as a result of the relocation.
0: Yeah. 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 So, I mean, what was that like as a 10-year-old? Do you have siblings and and stuff like that? I do. I'm the oldest of three. Okay. Um, So, I've got a younger brother, uh, and then our
1: youngest uh, uh, is my sister, Mary, uh, as well. So... It was a little bit dramatic for me. I don't know that they felt it quite as much as I did, as I was pretty ingrained with friends
0: and yeah. school and all of that, but uh, pretty normal nowadays. Right, yeah. yeah. So what kind of home did you grow up in? I mean, pretty loving, you know, two-parent two, two home, pretty yeah, found, America?
1: Yeah, I found myself uh, I found myself in what I consider to be a pretty exceptional and rare situation, and that is I had two loving parents. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I don't have to tell you what's happened culturally and the way the family has been under attack and marriages and, and uh, separations happen. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was a very uh, encouraging uh, environment. You know, my parents were bootstrap people, uh, Mm -hmm. came from a low income environment and um, you know, they really truly are, you know, middle class, upper middle class. They worked their way through it and it was just through hard work and determination. So you kind of had just
0: really great role models then to kind of
1: Oh, I Shitty. did. Yeah, I did. My father, in this case, instilled a work ethic. He, uh, uh, as a salesperson, uh, didn't have an office that he went to every day. Uh, he was on the road most of the time, mm. uh, as much as four to five days a week, which at times was difficult. Um, but his office was in the home, mm. and uh, you know, I have very vivid images when uh, I was younger of we'd be in the family room uh, doing our thing, and he'd be at his desk, um, you know, itself and. You know, one of the great examples that I saw was how he could uh, be friends with the people that he worked with and the, and the people that worked for him uh, and, and the way that we engaged socially and built community and we had support systems and, and just worked, worked with each other. It was a great environment overall.
0: Yeah. So what were you into when you were younger? I mean, did you have like hobbies or did you think, oh, someday I'm going to be a pilot for Delta? Well, you know, it's 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 funny.
1: Early on, growing up in California, I really had an interest in the ocean, yeah. Um, and I was convinced that I was going to be the one that was going to find the treasure on Treasure Island early <laughs> on. But once I moved past that, in this case, I really took an interest in in uh, wanting to be more of a marine biologist or oceanographer. And okay. and once I came to to Colorado, of course, that went away. Uh, I missed the ocean a lot, but uh, I came out here and. And I was looking for all kinds of ways to connect, and I was introduced uh, to basketball. Okay. And uh, so uh, I think there are uh, a lot of people in old Littleton that know me for that. still comes up every now and then. Uh, <laughs> itself, that became my thing. And uh, that was my saving grace uh, in, in many different ways. And I was relatively accomplished with regard to that Uh um, you know, growing up and through high school and, uh, you know, all state, all American recruited by the biggest schools, uh, unfortunately an injury happened and, and I missed my letter of intent day. And, and then I signed a pro contract over in Europe for, for a short period of time. And, mm. and, um, you know, so I did that and I so anything athletic, anything active was really my thing. Basketball being the primary.
0: Wow. Yeah. So let's, let's back up a little. There's a lot there. <laughs> So you got into basketball, yes, and pretty much consumed your life at that point. It did. I mean, you thought about it, played played through middle school and high school, and then at what point did you feel like you had this gift, or did people start saying like, "Oh man, you could you can go pro," mm, you know, yeah. or you go to a big school and? Yeah, I think for me, I you know,
1: I I um, uh, was never that great of a student when I was younger. Uh, when I was in middle school to junior high, uh, in this case, I was struggling with that. Um, uh, we had a, a, a tragedy in our family. Uh, my father on mother's day, um, uh, uh, at the dinner table had a double brain hemorrhage, uh-huh. um, shortly after we got here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by that time I had just been introduced to basketball. Um, and you know, I needed an outlet. Right. Is what I needed. Yeah. Um, I never really felt like I was gifted physically or from a talent perspective. It was really all about hard work and uh, considering the the uh, need for the outlet, uh, handling the stress, the anxiety, the concerns, those types of things. Uh, that's where I really poured my time and effort into it uh, as my father healed, uh, fortunately, and and uh, you know came back to us uh, through this. By that time, I started to gain a little traction, and and uh, um, and you know, my mother and father were frustrated with my academics, my studies, right? Because that was that was yeah. academics was back then, right? It was uh, everything, everything, right? Yeah. I mean, as as you went through it. Now, I came from a non-athletic uh, family. Uh, nobody in my family on either side had ever gone to college. College wasn't even a thought, uh, right. right? They didn't have those uh, opportunities afforded to them. And one day on the road, uh, this was uh, I think probably in my 7th, my, uh, uh, 8th grade year, my dad was uh, in Kansas somewhere, and he met a college basketball scout mm-hmm. and apparently had some conversations. And the scout gave my dad his business card and said, you know what, you go back and you tell your son, and it was from St. Mary's of the Plains College, go back and tell your son that if he gets his grades up and continues to play, i I'll, I'll I'll scout him and recruit him someday. that's all I needed. Wow. My dad brought it back, gave that to me, told me the story and in one year, I went from a c
0: and d student to almost a
1: straight A student at that point and uh, it changed my life right? Wow and that's then,
0: that it's so interesting those divine appointments you yeah. know the, your dad was out doing his job and he meets this guy, and that guy happens to be a coach for a basketball team that then gives his business card to your dad that inspires you to yeah to I get mean, your grades up you know and and time and time again that happened to me and it's happened to me
1: over my life but yeah. i mean it did uh, throughout um, uh, throughout my my high school career, my college career. Where did um, you end up going myself? to college? So I actually missed my letter of intent. Okay. Day. So I actually just went down uh, at the time, or Apple Community College okay. was a it was a JUCO, and and uh, I was their top recruit. I went down I played for a year before I signed a contract uh, to go over and play in Sweden.
0: Wow, okay. Uh,
1: you know, at that time. So that was back during the time at which, um, you know, you had to make a trade-off or a choice between... Um, your amateur status and and being eligible for the U.S. Olympic team versus um, uh, being compensated as a professional—you had to make a choice. So, you know, uh, like many others, I didn't want to give up my amateur status before I absolutely had to. Right. But um, I had some pretty severe injuries that, um, like you know, some threatened. torn ACLs or something like that. Actually, or... a brain injury. Really? Yeah, I had a brain injury as I was on a, a pro am squad getting ready for a European tour. Um, in this case and, and I was partially paralyzed, you know, for a period of time when I was getting ready for that tour and I, uh, uh, recovered and, um, and then I received a, a phone call as a result of all of that work, uh, asking if, if I would consider, um, signing a contract and going to Sweden to play. And I had turned down other professional contracts in different parts of Europe or different parts of the world before that, because I didn't want to give up my amateur status, because um, what was the hope there? You didn't yeah. want to
0: give up your amateur status because...
1: Yeah, my, my my hope, like probably a lot of kids at that time, is that, and, and I've received just enough encouragement to stay with us, is that... As one of the top players in the country at the time, I was recruited by all the big, big schools um, uh, that, that you would know. And yeah, everybody do, knows. North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, the big ones, right? Yeah. I mean, as we went through it. And the coaches would show up, and it was great, right? And that's what I wanted to be able to do. And the dream would be to do that and play in the Olympic team and and then uh, play for one of two teams, right? Uh, in this case, my grandfather, being Irish and living out on the East Coast, was a Celtics fan, and okay. living in California, it was all about you know UCLA and the Lakers, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, at the at the time, so that was kind of the dream. Uh, it uh, itself, but nothing like injury to be able to throw all of that off.
0: Yeah. So, how did that injury take place? Yeah, I was
1: um, uh, at the end of my freshman year of college. Uh, I was part of a pro am squad. That was going to go on a European tour. Um, The um, primary purpose of that was to be able to introduce uh, various NBA players and college players, which I was part of, uh, into the European scene and to be able to land professional contracts is what it was. And it was just a freak accident. Um, Unfortunately, it happened twice in two days. Um, And that was just uh, getting a rebound and someone came down and I caught an elbow in the left temple. Just and, like that. Uh, just like that. And, um, you know, concussion, no big deal, right? I mean, it was kind of the way and I... back then, nobody cared about yeah. head injuries, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, you know, I mean, nobody. yeah, nobody cared. You didn't take medical exams <laughs> like, shake in it this off. case. <laughs> or you're just a piece of meat. They send you back out there, you know, that right. uh, type of thing. And and uh, so shook it off, came back the next day, and unfortunately, the exact same thing happened again. Wow. And, um, you know, uh, at that time, I had met what's now my wife, uh, and we were dating, and um, we were coming home from, from a date, and, and I had been driving and pulled up in front of the the uh, 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 house, turned off the car, fortunately, and I had a seizure and blacked out. Wow. Uh, it uh, Itself. A heck of a way to make an impression.
0: Yeah. Uh, what, right. <laughs> what was that like for her? I mean, did she freak out? I uh, mean.
1: And she handled it well yeah. and obviously has decided to stay around, you know, 35 36 years later <laughs> Congrats. Uh, all that being said um, you know I worked my way through that and so when you
0: when you had that head energy yeah. you ended up in the hospital and they, they decided that it was you know your brain was hurt essentially and yes. you needed to kind of rest yes. and you couldn't go on this tour Yes. I mean
1: what did that what did that feel like Oh boy I mean I was destroyed right yeah. I mean so much of my identity was tied up in my athletic ability and for that matter the accolades that I had received yeah. uh, you know locally regionally nationally uh, right and in some cases even internationally so you know I mean my identity and it was directly tied to that um and, you know, over time, um, and I can fill that story out for you, but over time when that finally came to an end because of the injury, mm-hmm. uh, I had a severe identity crisis. Um, uh, not just my self-esteem, but everything and anything about me in this case was in question. And and unfortunately, my relationship suffered during that period of time. But um, you know, that's part of a larger story that maybe we'll get to.
0: Yeah, for sure. So uh, you you... Don't get to go on this tour, um, but you end up recovering. Doctor gives you a clear bill bill of health, and uh, Sweden comes calling. Right? They're like, "Hey, you're like the Larry Bird of Sweden." <laughs> <laughs> a short one at that. <laughs> yes. As as we went
1: through it, and just just to uh, clarify one thing, he did not give me a clean bill of health. I did oh, it against his interesting. advice.
0: Okay. Yes. Okay, so you, so then you're like, all right, I, I'm good, I feel fine. Doc's like, I don't know, you know, these, there's a lot of unseen things here. The, uh, I think um, at that time, my parents were involved with all of this.
1: And uh, basically, what they said was this if you catch another elbow, you may come home in a pine box. Wow. And uh, itself. So uh, be aware of that. Uh, we don't think you should do it, but also be aware that you could be in a car accident and you can hit your head on a cabinet or anything else at this point. That's just where you're at. Uh, itself, And as I said, during that time, they didn't require, um, you know, uh, physicals or medical mm-hmm. releases or anything uh, itself. You just, you know, went out and toughed it out and played Yeah. Um, itself. And unfortunately, it showed literally in the very first game. Really? Uh, in was- this case, within about the first 45 seconds of the game, um, when I went up against uh, another American, um, at a tip-off, and he came down, went up for a dunk, and I blocked it, and he didn't like it. Mm. And uh, in this case and he took a swipe at me. Wow. and I have I've, I've never been one to fight but I tackled him on the floor and that's a heck of a way to uh, make an impression uh, after just signing a contract and yeah. you know, you've got thousands of people there and and, uh, and cameras on you. It's uh, not a good way to start.
0: Yeah, so then what what did the rest of your time in Sweden look like? How long were you there?
1: Yeah, well I I basically made it uh, just about a season really is what happened. Okay. Uh, because there was a subsequent incident that happened that was probably even more embarrassing for me, uh, and that is uh, our city had been chosen to be able to host the equivalent of the NBA All-Star game, um, and uh, as as the American um, star for the team, uh, my face was on all the advertisements, of course, and, and uh, um, I was known for my... Dunking ability, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and it was everybody to come and face off against me, uh, <laughs> me against the world, I guess, at the uh, slam dunk contest. And um, never had a problem with it before, but I had a problem with it that day, and I actually injured myself uh, in the middle of that contest. Really, I, I did, and that was enough. Oh, and man. literally, what happened is after the all star break, uh, I um, uh, you know showed up. And it's like a classic scene from Hollywood, right? I walk into the locker room, uh, you know, before the game to get to my locker and get suited up, and and I walk in and everybody's there and their heads are down and they won't talk to me. And the assistant coach comes and gets me and says, "Coach will see you in his office."
0: Ah, uh, sweating bullets. And
1: uh, you know, at that point, and I walked in. He said, "I want to let you know we're cutting you loose, and uh, you can see the owner in the morning in his office." And uh, so, on the front page of the sports page was a picture of me, not knowing and understanding what's happening at the time, because yeah. I was quite young, um, and and there by myself, uh, sitting behind the bench in the stands, and uh, just so happened that my college coach was uh, coaching down in Stockholm at the time, and um, so he got involved with it. I went down there, stayed for a few weeks, and and came home, and uh, which I was actually quite happy about because. The love of my life, my my wife, uh, in this case, now wife,
0: uh, was here. And so, um, did you guys stay in touch then while you were were there for that year? We did, we did. You had uh, enough smorgasbords, in you <laughs> and you're <laughs> ready.
1: I just couldn't wait to be back. Yeah, and uh, came back, got engaged uh, sh- uh, shortly after that, and and then uh, married and moved on from there.
0: So what what was that like when the coach cut you? I mean, that must have been like a Gut punch. You know, I, I, I it was, but I'm or also going to say,
1: yeah, yeah, there was a certain relief there, right? Mm. Because the reason I, I made the decision to even go there in the first place, because I had turned down many contracts when, quite frankly, I was healthy, was I, I wanted, I didn't want to look back and say, I wonder if. Mm right yeah. um and at that point uh, uh, you know my eligibility as an amateur it, it didn't matter i mean i knew my career was at the end with the injury that i had yeah so at that point it was about you know what's next mm. um the problem is, is i didn't have the answer to that
0: right you know? so you must uh i mean what was that like as far as trying to navigate that you, you come home and then what were you going to do for work what uh, you know right what what, what were all those Things yeah. that you're going through.
1: Yeah, I mean, I came back, and of course, you know, I did have something to really look forward to, which was, yeah. which was my wife. Um, uh, at that time, girlfriend, now wife. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I came back, and and uh, I didn't know what to do, honestly, Mark. Um, you know, I took anything that came along. I took a—eventually, a, um, I landed in a, a part-time position at, um, at that time, uh, United Bank of Littleton, now Wells Fargo, uh, here in, in town. And I, I eventually became full-time and moved through some different positions there. Um, and it was a job. That's what it was. It was a job. But I didn't know who I was. I didn't have my identity. I didn't spend time getting to know who I was, how I was gifted or skilled or anything. Right. I was just trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, I'm having an all-out crisis. I mean, I, I will never forget. There came a time at, uh, not too long after we were married and we were in our first apartment that literally I I, I just lost it, took, all the awards and trophies and, and scrapbooks and everything, put them in a, in a uh, box to take them out to the dumpster um, mm. and just get rid of it. I mean, I, I didn't know what to do because I thought I had it all figured out and an injury you know, ended everything um, you know, it, uh, itself. But I'll just say that, um, you know, a good thing I wasn't in control uh, yeah. it, uh, itself. God had a different plan.
0: Yeah. So what, I mean, what got you through that, that time and, and where did you start to see, you know, change take place? And yeah, cause uh, you're a young
1: man. How old were you at this time? Oh gosh, what was I at the time? I would have been, uh, yeah, probably twenty one, twenty two years old, Okay, somewhere in that range. Yeah, um, You know, it uh, itself and, you know, newly married and trying to figure things out, right? Yeah, that's a tough
0: time of life, you know? It it's is. like you, you think you know everything, but you don't, and then you can't figure out why you don't know everything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I, I might say, I, you know, I was convinced I knew everything. Inside, <laughs> I knew I didn't, but I wasn't going to tell anybody. Right, yeah. Right? I mean, as as we went through it. I mean, to be honest about it, it wasn't pretty, and I stumbled through it. Um, you know, there's so much about what I know now that I wish I would have known then that would have made my life a lot easier. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. I mean, uh, it uh, itself. But, you know, I uh, uh, the support of my wife and family and friends, right? Encouragement, uh, you know, through all of that. Um, you know, I I had a, a good, stable job, you know, at the time. And if I didn't, I didn't know any better. <laughs> Uh, right. My wife was working, you know, as well. Um, you know, we didn't have a difficult time making ends meet. Uh, so that was nice and you know, we didn't have a lot of surplus, but we didn't have a lot of need. Yeah. Right. That's a good place so, to be. Right. It was. So, you know, there was a certain amount of healing, right. That I had to go through and then I could start to funnel it. I've always been, um, you know, someone who needs to be active even to this day. I, I, you know, people tell me that I don't know how to rest. I, I, I do what 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 I call active rest, right? <laughs> yeah. right. I have to literally be doing something, uh, you know, itself. So, you know, uh, I was able to funnel the competitiveness, mm-hmm. right, and the discipline and the hard work and the example my dad gave me, right, all of those types of things towards eventually building a career. Now, I didn't know it at the time, mm-hmm. right? I, I had a job. I didn't have a career. Right, right. I didn't have a purpose. I didn't have an identity in this case, but I knew that I could work hard. And I knew that I could outwork everybody else. It's great when you're young, but you figure out over time that that's not sustainable.
0: Yeah, you know
1: itself. So I mean, that's that's I poured my poured myself into that.
0: Yeah. So then, during that season, I mean, did you have thoughts about doing other things, or you know, finding a career, or going back to college and getting a degree, and Something? Geology? You know, the only thing
1: on my radar at that time, honestly, Mark, was um, getting by day-to-day uh, physically healing mm-hmm. and, and trying to finish up my degree uh, because I hadn't finished it by time I had left um, uh, to be able to go uh, overseas. So that's what, I, that's what I focused on. I mean, I literally just focused on being present and what was right before me is yeah. all I did. Um, God did the rest, yeah. I mean, he lined everything up, and as I did that, opportunities presented themselves, and all of a sudden, I figured out that if I started to pay attention to what the possible opportunities were, and I could anticipate what that might be, my job was just to prepare. All I had to do was work hard, and I had to prepare, and if I prepared in advance for what the next step would be, when the opportunity came, I had a pretty good chance of landing it. And that's what happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of those things that, um, you know, what are some of those opportunities that came, came your way that you were prepared for?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I started off, um, I mean, while I had retail and restaurant jobs and all of that, you know, where I was at at that point was, you know, I was working within a professional environment. I was working within a bank, mm-hmm. right, you know, at that time. Uh, and I just focused on being good at that, right? I mean, good, being good at what I did there. Um itself, and over time, right. Eventually, uh, I was introduced to credit unions and and to good mentors, right. Um, you know, I was going to the American Institute of Banking. I met a gentleman by the name of David Wyckoff, who was a a teacher, and he was also a senior executive for the United Bank System at the time. Uh, and he became a mentor of mine, and he gave me advice, mm. and and um, you know, he helped me learn and understand. You know what the various opportunities would be within the banking environment, right? And he made introductions to me, and at the same time, I was going to school and I learned the skill of 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 inter um, uh, uh, of informational interviewing uh, is what it was, mm. which was the opportunity to be able to start a network and go and and meet people and learn about what they did, ask them the questions, let them. S- talk about them, right? Mm-hmm. And over time, would make connections. And those connections, in this case, the, some of those people took an interest in me and provided opportunities, right, is what they did. Yeah, And then eventually, um, I started to develop, I'll say, higher level thoughts. And what I mean by that is, you know, I was just going through the day, I mean, I was being present. I was just trying to get my job done. I didn't have a career. I didn't know where I wanted to go. I was looking at a lot of things. And eventually, I started to look at it and said, you know what? This, Based on what's happening, people tell me I'm good at it. It feels good. Uh, where do I go with this? And then I st- I started to study. I'm like, okay, well, I'm in a for-profit banking environment in this case. And I started looking at it. What's that like? What's the unintended consequence? how does it feel inside in my soul, right, it, mm. itself? And then one day I met someone over the counter. Um, I was assigned to their account, and it was the manager of a credit union. And it's the not-for-profit side of banking. Mm. Like, I need to learn about that. What's that? I started to look into it, right? And, you know, look, I'm, I, I joke about it. I'm a recovering banker to this day, <laughs> Right. As uh, as we go through it, and, and there's a lot of wonderful people that are in, in the banking system and it itself, but people became so driven by self and by profit and those types of things. It started to make me think about it a different way, and that's when I made the decision. An opportunity presented itself for me to be able to leave leave the commercial banking environment and be able to go over, and in this case, and with the advice of of, of mentors, go over to a credit union. And now the way I looked at it is, you know what? I could do what I'm good at in this case, but I feel like I'm making a difference. Mm-hmm. And there is a real difference. I mean, there's a tangible difference, right, as we go through it. And I'd be happy to explain that if that's of interest at some point yeah. here. But now I could sleep well at night, mm. right? But I walked into a really bad situation. I didn't know it.
0: Really? Yeah. Yeah, so what I mean, What was that That situation? I went into
1: a place, in this case, that was on its way under. Ah, the Titanic. I, yeah, I didn't <laughs> know it. There was a mass exodus in mm. this case, and I was, I, was, I was coming in when everybody else was leaving. Ah, interesting. Eventually, the regulators got involved as well. But you know what? I, for one reason or another, when I got there, I, I mean, part of it might have just been being in the right place at the right time. But, um, you know, the volunteer board of directors saw something in me, and they said, you know what? Um, we need some help, and you're here, and you want to. Well, here's some education, and here's a specific area that you can focus in and that we need help in. And I took advantage of it. Nice. And I learned it and came back as an expert, and that helped pave the way for my career going forward. So um, you
0: didn't look at the the bank that you went to. I mean, it sounds to me like you almost look at it as a positive thing. Like you you went there, and it Obviously, it turned out to be bad, but good came from it. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you as
1: go through it, when I look back over my life, I see a tremendous God story. Hmm. I mean, I, I write. I mean, I can actually literally see, right, that if this didn't happen, then the next thing wouldn't have. I can actually draw a picture, a point to point, and say, "Wow, without all of that, I wouldn't be where I'm at." Right. As we go through it. And what it's done is, first of all, it it removes any second guessing, any judgment, any bad feelings. Right. I mean, it does that. But in addition to that, what it does is it builds trust. Yeah. That's really important for me. Faith is really important to me, it's a big part of who I am. Uh, And with that, uh, I can go back and see how faithful God has been, Mm. right, throughout this. Yeah, and you know it's like wow, you know there was a lot that could have gone wrong there or then or with that, right? It didn't. Yeah, I wonder why. Did you grow up in a faith-based home, or you know, I'm um, I I refer to myself as the benefactor of praying grandparents. Mm. Um, you know, and that I didn't realize when I was young uh, how important that was, but. You know, I my parents, um, in this case, I'm, I'm going to say I came from a mixed marriage. It's going to sound a little bit funny, but <laughs> it became a big deal in the face circles uh, at that time with that generation. and that is that my dad was raised Catholic and my mom came from a church planting family mm. that was on the Dutch reform side later Presbyterian and and you don't mix with Catholics right and they were defiant and they fell in love and they got married in in this case and that was reflected in my family as well too. now, my father made the choice that we were going to be raised Catholic uh, It itself. But there was a split, right, uh, within the family because, you know, uh, my mother's parents didn't agree with them getting married is what it was. Well, nothing like their first grandchild to come along to get them to come around, I guess, <laughs> yeah. right? And um, so I got I started to get to know them over the years, right? And as, as I got older, I started to learn a little bit more about that, hear about that or whatever um, itself. And I take a look at the faith part of my journey and how it began, as I'm describing it to you there, and then all the things that have subsequently happened then, uh, uh, since then and to me. And I have absolutely no
0: doubt that my grandparents were deeply involved in praying for me. mm so then, when did you? When would you say that that kind of became your own, you know, thing? Uh, as in my own faith, I yeah. owned it. Yeah, you know,
1: um, there were different times as I was growing up where um, I would go deeper, right? Um, but I, I've, I'm actually what I refer to as a recovering Catholic. Right? I'm, I mean, the way I describe myself is is an, uh, right a recovering Catholic in this case with Presbyterian roots, who was part of a Baptist church plant that married a Mormon, right? <laughs> that dabbled in messianic, in this case, right? It uh, itself, and because of all of those different experiences, right? As we went through it, interdenominational or non-denominational, as some uh, some people uh, may call it, actually works really well for me because I can understand a lot of different traditions, right? Yeah, and it's major in the majors, minor in the minors. In this case, right? Uh, and focus on love mm. and. And that's formed a lot of who I am through this, um, and I've had various life experiences around that. So, you know, as I fell in love with basketball, and I'm in high school, and I live close to the YMCA, and uh, which I didn't know at the time, was the, right, the Young Man's Christian Association. <laughs> right? As you go through it, I mean, all of a sudden you find out that all these things are it around you, them. right? <laughs> and then, you know, I become a camp counselor and a camp director, and I'm meeting people, and we're going to Christian concerts, you know, and high school and college, and all of a sudden, I start to take a little bit more interest in that, right? Yeah. And and then, you know, like a lot of young people do, and I did it as well, too. I I didn't particularly rebel against it. I wasn't attentive to it, and and it wasn't until I got married, and then my wife and I, in this case, um, you know, we didn't do anything with our faith. Um, and eight and a half years into that, we had children, and our oldest daughter, by age two, was without any prompting from us and then I mean we any prompting. There was there was nothing scripted around this at all. Started asking questions about God. Mm. And nothing like kids to get your attention.
0: Right. <laughs> it's like, well, I better find out to it's answer like, these questions. I'm <laughs> like,
1: okay, well, I think I can <laughs> fool my way through this right now, but that's not gonna last very long. I better do something about it. <laughs> right. That's really when I started to to get serious.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you started getting opportunities in the credit union and um how did that evolve? I mean, while you were in that, did you have your sights set like, all right, I, I want to be the CEO of a credit union mm-hmm. someday? Or, I mean, did you really just put the stakes down and say, all right, this is what I'm going to do? Yeah.
1: Well, I, I mentioned earlier that I watched it no a bad situation. And the board of directors, because they're volunteers and a volunteer-run, not-for-profit organization, um, I had the opportunity to interact with them. And when they expressed the um, confidence in me by making an investment, right, and, and um, you know would spend time and talk to me, in this case, right, I I felt important, right. And with that, I with my desire to please and hard work and everything else, I found that they started to value my work, and and in doing that, um, I started to learn about you know a possible career and and other roles, right. And I found that that you know I I grew up. On the finance side of the business is what I ended up doing. Mm -hmm. I stumbled into it. I learned it. I wasn't trained for it. I didn't go to school for it. Mm. You know, at that time is what happened. But but I became known as a turnaround specialist, and not just by that that uh, credit union's board of directors in this case, but by regulators and auditors and and other people that would eventually call on me, right? You were the guy. Yeah, I became the guy. I was
0: early in, right? <laughs> we needed we needed a turnaround specialist. <laughs> <Right>. Call Pat.
1: <laughs> right. And you know, I mean, eventually I ended up having my own business on the side with regard to that, but mm. uh, which paid for the rest of my school. But you know, I mean, that's right? So you you know, you don't know what you don't know, but if you're present and you keep your eyes you know, uh, looking forward and in this case opportunities present themselves and at that point, I figured out really quickly that hey, I I was willing, but I wasn't quite prepared, right? Mm. Now, I combine that with my informational interviewing skills, and and I would go and I would talk to people and I would I would listen to people that might be in a seat that I want someday, right? Somewhere else, and I would learn, and I would say, okay, uh, that's not what I want, which is is important as knowing what you do want right Right. as you go through it and i would ask how did you get there yeah right that's what i would do yeah and i would learn and they'd give me resources and i'd take advantage of it and it would just start to fall fall together over time
0: yeah wow um and so then being the ceo of uh, Red Rocks, was that your first opportunity? How long have you been the the CEO? (laughs) Almost 26
1: years. Wow, okay. No, it was not my first opportunity. Uh Um, So the very first credit union that I was at, I was very young at the time, so let's see, I would have been, when I started at that credit union, uh, I would have been 22 years old. By the time I was 24, I was expressing interest in this case, thank goodness they said no. <laughs> I was convinced I had everything I needed, and I would have been a miserable failure <laughs> yeah as we went through it. so thank goodness for their uh, for their honesty uh it uh, itself um, but because of my turnaround uh, skills, uh, I had the opportunity to eventually to be able to leave from there and go to a larger place mm. um, and I came in and very shortly uh, they were in a turnaround situation. And I became the number two there and my reputation grew, right, is what happened. And that's when I first started thinking about, okay, you know what, I'm, I, this is something that I think I could possibly do. Uh, and no, I didn't know everything I thought I knew, uh, so I need to learn more. And I started to engage in education and, again, through networks. And uh, at, that, at that time, our, what was called our association. And, um, and then from there, that led to my first big, true executive job. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at a much larger credit union at that time. And, uh, you know, I had the skills that they were looking for, right, uh, is what, what happened. And, but it was the first time I had the opportunity to move from what I call the back office, the finance side, and IT and, and, um, and risk management and all those types of things to a front-facing member or customer-oriented type of uh, environment and position and it was a true executive position, not a working VP position. Mm. There's a big difference between the two. and that was a real challenge for about two and a half to three years for me. And while everybody reassured me and told me I was doing a great job internally, it didn't feel very good mm. uh, because I you know I when I would go home and at the end of the day, I didn't know what what did I accomplish. I mean, there wasn't anything tangible, right? right. And I was used to that. That's a big switch. And, you know, learning what it's like to accomplish things through others, in this case, was a big deal. Yeah, it that, was that hard for you to kind of let go. And <laughs> Very much <laughs> and so. Like, let me just do it. Very much so. I mean, there's a story that when I showed up there, I didn't even have a computer on the desk. They wouldn't give me one. I had a really large executive office, and the executive assistant walked in, uh, with, um, uh, with a, a recorder in her hand, a tape recorder, and a stack of, of notepads, and said, if you need anything, um, see me. And if you need to communicate with anybody, here's how we do it. Put it on tape. I'll write the letters. I'll get the communication out. I'll set the meetings. I write. I mean, <laughs> And uh, I remember I put it to a test, and she shut me down every time. Uh, right? <laughs> Every single time. I can't tell you how many requests I had for a computer, and it took forever to get one uh, It uh, itself. So I would sit back at my office as I needed to on occasion. I would handwrite everything out and then read it into a dictaphone. <laughs> uh, in this case, because that was the only way that she would take
0: the work. Oh, right. Right? <laughs> and eventually,
1: you know, I came around is what I would say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so what? I mean, it, essentially, you'd go home and you'd feel like... What am I achieving? And Oh, my. I mean, I felt like an
1: imposter.
0: Yeah. Right? Which is a very common thing for a lot of people, right? Especially when yeah. you're young. You work your way up to a, a, a you know, senior level. And all of a sudden, you're like, I've just been kind of faking it. Right. I mean, every morning, I'd get up. And right at that
1: time, right, I, I would wear a suit. And I would, I would repeat these words every morning when I got up. Time to put on my costume. Right? Right. In this case, I, I wonder when they're going to find me out. Right? I mean, that's what it was. And I I felt like I hid that for a lot of
0: years. Yeah. So how did Uh, you eventually get over that?
1: Yeah. Well, um, not until I was a lot older (laughs) in this case. Uh, I wish I would have known that other people felt that way. Mm,
0: Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing, right? Like so many people think, and that's one of the reasons why I do this show, right? It's because I want to encourage people to say, hey, you're not so far from where you want to be and you have what it takes within you. Listen to this person's story, Yeah. you know, and they they didn't think they had it all figured out, you know, Where they in their brains, they thought everyone else did and they didn't, but they just kept moving forward, right, you know? Right. And so it's one of those things where we all kind of walk around, but then as soon as you hear a story or as soon as someone is vulnerable with you about this, you're like, Oh, it relieves this burden or stress yeah. off of you to say, Oh, I'm, I guess I'm not
1: alone. You know, I, I've, I've had the opportunity to be able to speak and speak into a lot of uh, young people and new professionals. And and one of the things I say to them about this and other things is, look, everything starts with finding one person who believes in you. That's all you need, mm. just one, right? Hopefully it's the right one in the right spot. If you do that, they will extend the grace, they will extend the mercy, they will make the investment, right, of time, talent, and treasure, in this case, into you. I didn't know it then, but that's what I received as a gift, mm. Right? That's how I got through it at the time was that I had, at that time, it was a retired fighter pilot, a lieutenant colonel who was the CEO who believed in me, right? Yeah. And he told me that from day one. And he backed it up, in this case, with investment and time, right, is what he did, right? And and he let me make my mistakes. I'd like to say that he gently corrected me at times, but there are times in which I wasn't... Gentle, right, as we went through it. But I was never publicly shamed, ever, right, as we went through it and uh, gave me the opportunity. So it's right one person who believes in you, right, can make a difference in your life. Yeah. This morning I said to my assistant, my life is better because you're in it
0: than when you're not. Mm. That's powerful. Yeah, that's really powerful. So... I mean, how does one go about finding that person? Or, I mean, you know, some of, some people, you know, they maybe work a dead end job, or um, you know, they feel like they can't get noticed by upper management. I mean, yeah. What, I mean, what do you do? Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, first of all, uh, look, there's cultural forces at work, okay, that are challenging the old guard. That includes people like me, the old guard in leadership structures to create and cultivate cultures, right, within organizations that engage people more, right, that help people find purpose and meaning, right, and they help foster that. So what I would say is that if you're in an organization or a company that doesn't, and you can find a way to gently bring that forward and test the waters, right, I mean, that would be great. But if not, to be honest about it, you need to find one that will. Mm-hmm. I mean, it starts with that. Now, what I would also say is look for opportunities. Employers are eager. And I will tell you, as a longtime leader, okay, I forget about the value and the importance of doing things such as uh, allowing staff members to participate in what I consider very simple things but are really meaningful to them because they were meaningful to me at the time. Mm. Right? Company dinners, Right? Leads groups, chamber events, right? As we go through it, um, young professional groups, right? Yeah. Uh, if, uh, you know, look at your group of friends. I mean, what do they do? Who do they know? Right? Can they introduce you to people? Do they like where they work? Hmm. Right? Yeah. Do they have somebody they look up to? I think most of us at one point or another have come across somebody. At the very minimum, we've come across somebody that believed in us at some level. They encouraged us. Encouragement is a form of belief, right? Yeah. Right as we go through it, they've 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 spoken into our lives in in this case. You have to identify and find those people. Right? The world needs that. Yeah, totally. Right? As we go through it. So, and there are ways to do that. So the old guard is being challenged, but here's the good news. I operate in a lot of of um, peer groups with business owners and CEOs, and here's the great news. The great news is is that that while they may be struggling with what to do with this challenge of engaging people, right, mm-hmm. they know they have to change, and here's the other thing they know, they're going to lose, <laughs> right. It's the last man club, guys. (laughs) Okay. I mean, sorry, but it is at some point, right? Yeah. Everybody else goes away and a new guard comes on. So it's our job as leaders in this case, right? Not to get everybody else to conform to us, but it's our job, right, to be able to cultivate a culture that's meaningful and engaging for people that are coming into the workforce and people that are within our companies, helping them find purpose and live with intention, right, itself, mm. to be able to pursue their dreams. We have a young lady on our staff, right? I work at a credit union. We do banking, right? We're helping her chase her dream of becoming a professional wrestler. Wow. Okay? That's, that's pretty awesome. Right? As we go through it. She's got, the, she's got a championship match coming up. She just sent it out to all the staff. People are buying tickets, right? We're yeah. going to try to support it. Wow. In this case, right? The old guard not only wouldn't allow that in this case, but might even view it as a threat that, you know, somebody in this case, she's very good at what she does, is going to actually, you know, be good and follow her dream and leave. Right, that's scary. Oh, yeah. When you, you know, are at the top. Right, as you go through it. It's a perceived threat, right? Right. As, As you go through it. But let me just tell you, right, the benefits of helping people find who they are, have a purpose, and help them live intentionally, the rewards to the employer and the culture and the people around them are so much greater.
0: Yeah! Wow. That's awesome. uh, That's really encouraging to hear. Um, And I could see how, as a CEO, um, you you now have uh, an additional mission right you, Absolutely. you all of a sudden not only are you trying to in, increase the uh, value of your credit union financially and doing the business part of it but then you're also trying to enrich lives and uh, make a difference in this world which then can be very satisfying for you as a person right you know well it's Cause mean, just it's, making more money for your bank or your credit union that doesn't make you like feel good at night <laughs> Well, it
1: doesn't. I mean, just to kind of wrap this up in a nice, neat package here. Remember, I was talking about I worked at a bank; it was for profit, and right having to be able to make the decision that, you know about what to pursue there and the unintended consequences, and eventually going to a credit union, and being able to uh, sleep better at night. Here's how it all comes together, and it makes just perfect sense now, right? I didn't know it back then, but it does for me now, right? And that is that when we think about the business environment, right? We think about a spectrum. We have for-profit businesses on one end of the spectrum, and what are they there for? For profit, <laughs> yeah, right, right. As, as we go through it, on the other end of that spectrum, the opposite end of that spectrum might be oh, nonprofit, right? Charities, right? Uh, organizations with you know, in this case, that are limited in terms of their business model and the ability to be able to generate revenue, but their their impact, their purpose, their cause, their heart—they've got it nailed. Right. Is what they have, right? When all is said and done. But there's a space in between that very few people know about.
0: Hmm.
1: Right. And that's where I get to operate. It's the cooperative space. See, we're a 501C fourteen.
0: Oh, I've never heard of that. Yeah,
1: really interesting, right? Yeah. (laughs) As you go through it, it's a cooperative space, right? I get the ability to be able to build and sustain a business like a for profit, but by law in this case, with the heart, purpose, and impact of a nonprofit. That's why we're there. Mm. Making more money, I mean, that's great. But I just in this case, we can do that, but I just get to return it. That's all I get to do. I don't mm. get to keep
0: it. Right.
1: I don't I mean it doesn't doesn't enrich me, doesn't enrich my volunteer board or my volunteer audit committee or anybody else. So now I get the opportunity to be able to build and sustain a business, right? With a pure motive. Mm. To be able to go out and impact and change the world, right? That's what I get to do. I mean, how fortunate am I? That sounds pretty awesome,
0: actually. Yeah, I never thought about it like that. But when you when you present it like that, it's like, oh, that, that sounds pretty good. I mean, obviously, you've been there for 26 years. So uh, you find some sort of fulfillment in it. You know, it's it's been a bumpy ride, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> so... This is this has been a fantastic interview. There, there's been so many great nuggets of, of little information uh, and encouragement you've kind of sprinkled throughout this interview. Um, you know, what are some what are the, some of the main I would say like takeaways or keys that you encourage you know younger people or uh, you know young business leaders who are coming up? Um, you know, what are some things that you would maybe encourage them to, or um, maybe even some uh, materials or or some sort of reference the book or or something like that that you could, you know, share with us? Sure. Um,
1: Well, I mean, I mean, first of all, I I guess the the very first thing I would offer would be encouragement, right? Um, I think one of the things that's so difficult is that our culture, uh, in this case, isolates people. It's easy to hide. It's easy to feel alone. Mm -hmm. What I would say is just remember you're loved. I mean, regardless of anything and everybody else, right? In this case, you are loved. Take time to figure out who you are, and don't be ashamed of who you are. Don't feel like you have to be anybody else. You are uniquely made with a unique skill set for a unique time with a unique impact, and don't settle for anything else. hmm so take time to be able to get know uh, get to know who you are. There's lots of assessments out there. If you don't know how you're wired, how you're made, how you're gifted, what you're interested in, you can go online, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I we can name off all kinds of yeah, classic assessments, and right?
0: And Enneagram and <laughs> right, right. Strength finders. Strength finders. I mean, you know,
1: there's organizations you can pay a lot of money to. You can go get books, right? As you go yeah. through it, invest the time to be able to understand it, and and iterate on it. Okay, iterate over time. Once you figure it out, you in this case it's a great place to start, but that's not where you stop. Okay, it's the beginning of the journey, not the end. Mm. Right. And then find your purpose, right? What do you care about most? What connects with your heart? What makes you mad, sad, or glad, right? (laughs) In in, in this case. And literally take note of it. And then sit back and evaluate how you're wired, what skills you have, how you're made, and what makes you mad, sad, or glad. And ask friends. Engage other people and say, hey, This is is how I'm wired. What could I do that would bring all of that together so I can live a fulfilling life and I can impact other people? Mm. Right? There's great resources out there. There's a great book called Visionary by Andy Stanley that I love, right? There's lots of them, right? Uh, Good to Great. There's great business books and all of that, right? Um, Halftime, Bob Buford, right? There's great books out there. So take time to get to know who you are, find your purpose, and develop a plan to be able to pursue your life intentionally and do it in community with people that will support you and bless you.
0: Wow. Pat, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. This has been a fantastic interview, very encouraging. And um, I hope that if you're listening to this, that you gleaned something that uh, encouraged you and motivated you to to, um, take your life to the next level. Um, you know, remember that you, you're not so far from where you want to be and you have what it takes within you to be successful. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.